Hello, hello, hello. I just wanted to pop on to let you know that the amazing news is that the last female fat loss program is now open for applications and for sign up. So the female fat loss program is this one is a six week group coaching. So it will start on the 30th of October and will bring you up to the middle of December. So that means you'll learn how to manage Christmas, but also be able to enjoy a Christmas knowing that you can easily reset, not derail anything and get rid of that all or nothing mindset. So what's involved in the female fat loss program? There's a Facebook group. It's better if you have Facebook, but it's not necessary if you don't want to do it. There's also weekly lives where you guys ask the questions in and I give you a weekly live and that's also recorded as a podcast for you for Wednesday in case you missed it. So it's a win-win on that as well. So you learn more while you're going through it. What you also get is tailored nutrition. So you'll learn how to get your tailored calories, your tailored macros so that you can manage your weekend, so that you can manage your weekly activities, your weekly training, and then you also get your tailored training. So some people actually don't do the training that I provide, which is completely understandable. Some people prefer classes. So you either have a choice of home workouts or gym workouts. And there's videos, a video library attached to every single one of those. You click on the link and a video pops up of someone showing you how to use that video. So everything is really, really there for you. Everything is there. Video library, tailored nutrition, Facebook lives, accountability, support. The Facebook group is amazing too because you get like-minded people who are on the same journey where you can share pictures of your mood. There's also some challenges, but it's not about a challenge of like who can lose the weight the fastest. It's nothing about that. It's maybe have we got new recipes coming out, maybe a step challenge, but it's not who can do the most steps. It's who can potentially improve more on the previous week. But my most important thing for you and whoever does sign up, if you're listening to this, is to show you that you can and educate you around your menstrual cycle educate you around perimenopause and menopause, PCOS, endometriosis, postnatal, whatever it may be. But it's also to educate you that you can have your weekends, show you that you can have your weekends and make progress. Every single person in this group that has finished the program has absolutely smashed it. I genuinely mean that. We've had, I know one of the graduates from six months on has lost about 35 pounds. That's how successful this group can be. They've done a couple of groups back to back or a few groups back to back and they're 35 pounds down and they're now sitting at maintenance. They know what to do. So if you want to sign up, the cost is 99 euro for six weeks. Yeah, 99 euro. That's all that it is. 99 euro for six weeks. This is the last intake of 2023. So if you are interested, click on the link in the show notes, get you signed up, book your space in and we will see you on the 30th of October to get you started. So don't hang around because spaces are limited already. There's a reason why a lot of people from previous groups have renewed. There's about 75% uptake of people going from previous groups into this group. So don't wait around. That's how successful this group is. So 99 euro for six weeks. Click on the link in the show notes and hopefully you see you there. Hello, 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 and welcome to the next episode of the Shane Walsh podcast. So today's episode is a special episode because it is from a guest appearance on a podcast with a good friend of mine, Kate Hamilton. So Kate Hamilton has a podcast called the Kate Hamilton Health Podcast, and I would definitely check her podcast out. She's had some incredible guests from Evan Daly, Brian Keane, Jenny Piercy, a load, a load of different people, and it's it's an incredible podcast. So head over and listen to that podcast. So today's episode is basically a Q&A 
from a lot of Kate's clients in relation to the topic of perimenopause and menopause. We basically explain the difference between the two. We talk about the impact it has on the pill. We also talk about does it cause weight gain? We talk about how to manage some of the symptoms that may help happen. But we also talk about opening up that conversation amongst doctors and patients and people maybe going through it. We also talk about societal stigmas and what's the new norm, etc. around it. So it's a really, really powerful episode, I would say. And I would highly recommend it if you're someone who is being impacted by it at the minute or knows someone who's at that stage of their life as well, I would highly recommend. I would be very grateful if you could send that podcast over or this podcast over. So hopefully you've enjoyed the episode. Hopefully you do enjoy the episode with myself and Kate. And Shane, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Kate. Yeah, it's been a while. Yeah, it must be about a year since you were um, last on. You were one of the first guests Jesus, that's and you're at fifty now. So massive congratulations yeah. on that because that's not a that's because I think what is it like? I think something like ninety percent give up after, before ten or after ten. Yeah, so no, to get still going. Yeah, really enjoying it as well. Like so, yeah. No, it's good. I didn't do any type of celebration yesterday. Now when I released episode fifty, it was um, cook dinner, do the gymnastics <laughs> run, you know, all <laughs> mom yeah. life. Parents keep it, being yeah. a parent keeps you grounded. I'd say. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, that's it. Like, you know, you think all these exciting things are happening and then it's like, nope, just back to the normal routine. <laughs> yeah, normal. Yeah, fair enough. Um, so anyway, today, so last time we were on, you were on, we talked kind of about female health in general and we and did a lot of talking about hormones and we talked just in general. Whereas today I wanted to really kind of narrow down and talk a bit about um, menopause and perimenopause because I get a lot of questions and a lot of I've actually had people message me being like, can you do some podcast episodes on this topic? So it's something that a lot of people are struggling with. Um, And I know your clients are probably similar age to my clients. So um, I think it's definitely um, a conversation that we need to, to be having. And I find as a woman, like I was taught very little about this. So I only know what I've learned in order to help my clients. Yeah. No one has taught me this in school or you know along my life and I think that that people are getting a little bit more um aware we're being given more information now but still I feel like it's not good enough and a lot of women are struggling and don't know what's going on where to go what to do yeah like and if you've been taught if you haven't been taught a whole lot can you imagine what my gender has been taught about um like for a long time like we live in Ireland, so like the Catholic Church was running things for an awful long time. I don't want to bring religion into it, but it was this kind of like I think it says in the Bible or something like you shouldn't lie with a woman in bleeding or something like that. And it's kind of like, well, none of us would be here if that wasn't the case. So it's like a taboo subject for a very, very long time. And I think when, when it comes to perimenopause and menopause, there's definitely been a stigma attached to it. And the likes of say Lara Bryden and Davina McCall. Catherine O'Keefe here in Ireland have been doing amazing work to try and promote it because over 50, 50% of the population in Ireland anyway are are female who are born who were born female, should I say. Um and menopause impacts every single one of those, but it also impacts on the rest of the family, impacts on the rest of work, like it affects every aspect of your life. A Lara Bryden calls um kind of like she calls cause menopause the, the second puberty or perimenopause the second puberty because it's when your body's changing you feel off mentally and insecurities become a little bit more heightened 
And that's almost like what puberty is. You're awkward. You don't know what's going on. Your headspace is all over the place. You're a little bit more anxious. So it's very, very apt, that whole aspect of what kind of the, the definition she kind of says of what perimenopause is, which is second puberty. Um, but I think there's a lot of information that I know you're going to talk about now and what we're going to talk about now. So, yeah, before I take over the podcast, I'm going to let you ask the questions. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I think as well, like what you're saying about, you know, it being like the second puberty on top of that then when you're hitting perimenopause or menopause and um, you're also dealing with aging parents you're also dealing with this, the financial stress of kids going to college you're dealing you know the, there's all these life responsibilities and hardships and you know th- you know things just being real life on top of that which makes it even worse I think yeah, and I think there's a lot of change kind of going on because you, uh, when you potentially get to that stage, as you said, the kids are getting a little bit older, they're about to potentially moving out, they're going to college or whatever it may be, and you've been seen as the provider or may have been the homemaker or maybe the one that everyone relied on. So your identity can change. You, it's a hard shift from identity of being there for everyone or, and doing everything for everyone to people leaving the house, potentially going out and living, starting to change their lives and go after their lives and it's, it's it can be a hard thing to to kind of narrate and if self-worth and self-esteem has been low beforehand that only gets heightened if through perimenopause and menopause if mental health kind of gets ramped up or poor mental health gets ramped up through estrogen dropping or a lot of like lack of sleep night sweats all these kind of different symptoms that kind of come in so yeah it is it is a massive transition for someone and if you don't understand what's happening or you're not felt supported you don't feel supported then that journey can be really really hard and i've seen that happen endless amounts of times with clients in the past that they don't feel that they're supported at all uh whether it be loved ones because they don't know how to describe themselves or how what's going on to their partners their partners aren't educated or don't know how to to kind of help them and then when they go to doctors they don't feel heard as well so it's really really multifaceted that if you don't feel supported in any walk of life you kind of feel lost and you kind of go a little bit more, more withdrawn and then you end up maybe soothing with food or alcohol or not going to exercising, really struggling with your symptoms, really struggling with your mental health. So it's really, really, there's a lot of, there's many, many layers that I don't I think a lot of people talk about when it comes yeah. to perimenopause. Okay, so before we actually get into, you know, try and be productive about it and like what we can do, um, let's just, Bring it back to basics for anyone, any, maybe if there's younger women listening, listening who don't know too much about this or, um, just people listening who think, oh, maybe I do have, I, I'm heading that direction or whatever. What is the difference between perimenopause and full menopause and in relation to symptoms and stages and the whole lot? Yeah. So menopause essentially means that you've stopped menstruating for 12 months. That's the most okay. blanket statement I can give. It means you've stopped menstruating for 12 months. So if you know what your cycle was beforehand and you're not menstruating for 12 months, you will be you'll be more than likely having menopause, which means after perimenopause. perimenopause. Okay, so are the symptoms, sorry to interrupt. So the sim- when you get to that stage of not menstruating for 12 months, are you at the stage where your symptoms are getting better now? Like are things your starting symptoms to, are should things start be to reduced or gone. So perimenopause is the stage where the lights, the night sweats, the anxiety, okay. the mood swings, the irritability, those kind of things. That's generally a perimenopause. So perimenopause essentially means around menopause. And it is known as kind of like a transitional phase beforehand. And it generally happens kind of in your 40s. It can happen earlier. Some people have to be er- 
induce early into to menopause as well. And you can find that your periods are more erratic. The cycles can be heavier. There can be heavier bleeding. And I would that, that would be a generally a, a decent stage. So menopause on average would be at the age of 51 on average. It can be early. It can be later. So it's essential that you know what your normal cycle is. If you are on the pill or contraception, which is a personal choice, your, your kind of symptoms maybe won't be might not be as extreme but it still doesn't really out of going through a natural change of perimenopause so it, knowing your cycle and knowing how it operates for you allow you to spot these irregularities and it will essentially there's kind of different stages of it you'll kind of have these kind of lower estrogen would be kind of the first stage then you have high and fluctuating estrogen which is like estrogen is your kind of your Beyonce hormone it makes you feel like a woman and there's progesterone which is your calming hormone so you've got stage one, lower estrogen, starts to waver. And then number two is high and fluctuating estrogen, where it starts to waver even more. So think of it like a, a heart rate monitor. It starts to go up and down a little bit more. And then you've got the lower progesterone, which is where your mood may be going down a little bit lower as well. But this natural perimenopausal transition can take anywhere up to 10 years, but on average takes about seven years. So you could start it from about like average age 51 for menopause. So it could start around kind of 43, 44, but I've seen clients go through it earlier. I've seen clients not ha- not happen until later on as well. And then, yeah, so that's basically the, the, the basics of it. The joys of being a woman, like we go through how many years of periods and when we're young girls, and we're trying to hide that. And then when we're kind of young adults, we're trying not to get pregnant. And then we do have loads of kids wreck our body <laughs> through that. And then we have this to look forward to. It's a joy. Yeah. <laughs> it's a joy. Yeah, no, it is. Like it, it is tough. And I think a lot of it is a lot of, of one of the things I hear is that you can't be you don't feel supported through a lot of it. Um, and then also there's this social media pressure to look a certain way and then if you don't look that certain way you feel you don't feel in fit in um so particularly and if you're not taught of well what's to expect what's to be expected or you don't feel supported from medical professionals or whatever it may be you could be old school or just maybe have a gap in their knowledge uh which is through no fault of their own that could be the system they you can feel a little bit lost and you can kind of kind of say well i've no help here from people i need it from and that can be hard that can be really really hard for people to kind of and that and if you're having like some of the symptoms you can have are kind of like some can be often related to your appearance like weight gain hair changes loss of sex drive headaches uh heart palpitations you get PMT, which is like a, a heightened kind of more depressive like PMS. And then you've got PMS symptoms. You can feel just a little bit overawed by the whole thing. So if your mood is off already and then you're going through perimenopause, your mood could be a little bit more off again. Um, and you may need to go and get maybe therapy to kind of talk through that. But people see therapy as a sign of weakness, unfortunately, rather than a sign of strength. Um, so yeah, it's important to kind of Look at what was regular for you beforehand, knowing what your body is doing beforehand. So getting apps like Clue or Kundara, or you can get use a pen and paper if you want. And look at where your cycle was beforehand. Um, obviously, if you're on the pill, it's a little bit, it's not going to be normal in relation to, it's not going to be the nor- normal heightened trends. Uh, like if you're on the coil, you're not going to get, like you're going to not get your cycle. So you might get a little bit of withdrawal, but you're not going to, it's going to turn it off really. So 
yeah, there's a lot of different things, a lot of different things to kind of manage. And I think it's important that you understand what symptoms there are and what to expect. And it's kind of like, well, I'm ticking these boxes. I could be at this stage. Now let's go potentially talk to the doctor to get things managed. Okay. So in relation to contraception, is there a stage where is there a stage where it's time to come off contraception or is this something that can be helpful through your 40s while you're going through this? It all depends on what you're doing. It all depends on why you're doing it. It all depends on what the doctor says. So the, the medical yeah. advice will always be my number one. Like I'm not going to say it's time to go off the pill at any stage. It all depends on the doctor. But like because you're on the, the on a particular type of pill, you're not getting your natural surges of your hormones. So your natural hormones are your progesterone and estrogen. There are other ones. Yeah. But when you're getting when you're on the pill, you're getting artificial uh, hormones being pumped into body called progestin and 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 estradiol. So they're man made. So your natural surges of estrogen and progesterone aren't going to be there they're going to be a little bit more muted so sometimes you can feel that your personality can change there are research saying your personality change there's weak research saying that your per- your sexual preference may change as well there's weak whatever well, is this while being on the pill through perimenopause just being on the pill in general oh just in general okay yeah so gotcha. your symptoms if you're kind of going through perimenopause and you're on your pill doesn't mean you're still not going through perimenopause so it could be like you potentially need to say, right, if you're starting to get a little bit irregular with the cycles or you're starting to have heavier bleeds or spotting or anything like that, you probably need to go to the talk to the doctor and say, right, what's going on here? To say, right, is it time to come off the pill? Is it time to try different things? Is it try to... Because obviously, if you're still having an active sex life, like... That's um, one can, of the main you reasons. You can still get pregnant, yeah. Yeah, you can still get pregnant. Yeah, But also there's yeah. the other element of it when you're going through perimenopause, lo- loss of sex life or lo- lack of mm-hmm. confidence can also be a massive thing. So you may not want to go get the ride. So there's, <laughs> there's two ways to look at it. Don't touch me. <laughs> exactly, yeah. But in relation, now I know you can't give, we can't give advice. We need yeah. to be very clear on, we're talking about lifestyle advice yeah. um, from a health and fitness, you know, professional point of view, not as a doctor. But you know, the way people go, will often bring their teenage daughters to the doctor to get them on the pill to help with period symptoms, yeah. you know, particularly. Um, can, do people use it sometimes with the, with the advice of their doctor to help with perimenopause symptoms? Does it do a similar, can it do a similar job depending on the circumstances? So the reason why people use it as when they're a teenager to go on it is because when you get first get your cycle when you're a teenager is that it comes on like fury. And I, what I mean by that is it comes on like hell yeah, because yeah. you've gone from zero to hero really, really quickly. So the symptoms can be really, really heightened and then they kind of calm down or they may calm down, calm down after a while. So you may be kind of, having zero bleed to have really, really heavy flow. So I think it's really important to say like the pill can help some people to manage pain and heavy flow. If it's a long-term solution, doctors will tell you. If it's to mask certain things, doctors will tell you. Um, With the perimenopause, what's the question again? Apologies. That do do some people use the pill to help with perimenopause symptoms in the same way that they would in the other end. Well, it can mask symptoms of of certain things but i wouldn't be it wouldn't be the thing that i would use to 
Gotcha. Yeah. To, but that's my personal opinion. That's not a doctor's opinion. But I would say, like, there are other yeah. options to to use in order to manage symptoms a little bit better. Like, yeah, maybe if you're looking at say like this HRT, which is the big one in the media, and it is personal choice. So, like HRT, I got a lot of bad press for a very, very long time. Um, and I think it's really, really important to say that it is pro-choice. Um, HRT works for some people, doesn't work for other people, but I've seen clients who have gone from not using HRT, which is hormone replacement therapy, to using it, and they feel like they've got their mind back, which is an ultimately yeah. a big thing that can happen. Uh, people, yeah. people feel like they're losing their mind, but it helps to manage your hot flushes. It helps to manage your night sweats. It helps to manage your mood swings. It helps to manage your vaginal dryness. It helps to increase your sex drive. So, and it also helps to kind of get the the bone health back because as we age, our bone health deteriorates. And as your estrogen, which is your kind of like your, your bone health binding kind of hormone, as that decreases, you're more you can be more prone to osteoporosis or osteopenia or sarcopenia, which is kind of brittle bone syndrome. So if you had a fall when you're old, you could smash your bones and it takes longer to recover, and you could end up with more serious injuries. So if you're started, if you're interested in starting with HRT, talk to your doctor. They'll give you different options on which one will work for you. They there's two main hormones used in them. There's estrogen. Um, there's also progestin, which is like the, the the pill ones, and there can be different methods to use it, which is cyclic, cyclical or continuous HRT. There can be used from tablets. They can be used as skin patches. They can be used as estrogen gels, implants, vaginal estrogen, or testosterone. So there's many different options, and sometimes it can take about three months for people to see a difference in what okay. they are using. And there can be some side effects between some of them. But if normally a doctor will tell you to give it about three months to try and test out which one they think you can use or should use. And if you feel after three months it's not the right one, it might not be the right dosage or it might not be the right method for you. So if you feel you're going through perimenopause, the first thing that I would do is kind of go and get an NCT or an MOT. So on your body, which is go get your hormones checked. Go to the doctor. And sometimes I can feel there's a wall put up in front of people saying, well, you're not sick or you're not trying to get pregnant. So why are you coming in for a hormone screen? I've had that before for clients. Well, so kind of like, well, it's my right to go and get my hormones checked. It's kind of like, it's exactly like getting a blood test. They just look for different things. And yeah. it's important for you to say, right, now this is how I've been feeling. Almost do like a case study on yourself. You shouldn't have to do this, but unfortunately some people do. Almost write out a case study of yourself for the last two, three, four, five months this is how I'm feeling. My mood's been this way. My cycle's been this way. My discharge has been this way. I'm not ovulating at this stage. I haven't ovulated for this length of time. This is what my normal cycle was. And go to the doctor and say, right, here you go. I think it I'm perimenopausal. Can you please do a hormone screen on me and we can see exactly what's going on? Don't yeah. be surprised. Though. Don't be surprised if a wall is put up, but don't be surprised and make them not be surprised that you're going to stand up for yourself here and say, right, th- this is my body. Like I'm here to get this sorted. And if you can't, well, then you can go always get a second opinion. And I've had clients leave their GPs after 20, 30 years with one GP to go and get a, a new response from a different one. That's exactly what my next question was going to be, because I've heard 
stories of women from women uh, where they've had a really negative experience when they have gone to the doctor with these symptoms. Mm. And I think it's really important, as you said, to stand up for yourself. You know your body better than anyone else. And you know when something is not right. You know when you can't live the way you're living. And if the person that you go to for help is not willing to help you, go to someone else. Because yeah, I think for a long there time. There is help. Yeah, but I think for a long time, we've kind of saw doctors as a way of, um, as someone who we don't question their authority on. Um, so yeah. now it's important to say, right, well, this is my body. This is what's right for me. It has been normal for me. I don't feel right. My mental health doesn't feel right. There's something not going right here. You can always go to a different opinion. You can always go for a different option or a different GP or ask for a different option. So if you don't feel heard or seen, you have a plan B and a plan C. It's it's lengthening the process for you, but no, there are options for you. Yeah. And in relation to HRT as well, like I hate that narrative that, you know, what when you know, in the media of like HRT getting a bad rep and, you know, oh, you shouldn't be going down this road, you shouldn't be doing this. Like, you know, I feel like it's very, very similar to the argument around medication and mental health. Yeah. Now, I'm very like, you know, I'm a personal trainer. I read very much like I'm a health coach, I advocate living a healthy lifestyle, exercising, eating well to, you know, to, to energize your body. But there's a certain point where you need medical help. Like as in when I was in my early 20s and I was having chronic panic attacks, I couldn't get out of that cycle. I went to my doctor and I went again and it took about a year to diagnose out of all the physical tests. And um, like I couldn't, I couldn't live my ordinary everyday life because I was constantly having panic attacks. I needed medication. Yeah. I, I didn't need medication to numb me or anything. It was I needed ser- serotonin enhancing medication to bring my levels back up. And then I went on and did cognitive behavioral therapy. And I needed that. And I, I literally like it built me as a per- built me up as a person. And I'm going a little off topic here. No, but that makes sense. My, my point is, I think this is the same thing. It's like some people feel like, oh, I don't want to go down the route of hatred or hatred isn't good. Or, you know, I should, you know, I shouldn't need that help. I should be able to fix things myself. It's like sometimes like these are we're talking about chemical imbalances we're talking about hormonal imbalance imbalances and sometimes we need you may not but you may need just that extra little bit of help to get those lifestyle practices then in place to like build yourself up and continue on with your life yeah i think it and i and i think with the medication around kind of mental health and stuff like that's a very different topic because I've I was put on it when I had my depressive bout in 2017. I didn't react very well to it. I had the opposite, yeah. so I, I don't I can't remember the name of it, but I I I I look at this glass of water here and that's yellow. It looks like piss, in fairness. Um, <laughs> I, that look, that's yellow, but I could I, that looked grey to me when I was on my meds, and I also sounded drunk wow. all the time. I couldn't I yeah. couldn't string a sentence. Um, I just literally couldn't do anything. So I didn't react well to mine. And But for me, therapy worked for me. But for other yeah. people, the chemically chemical imbalance or some people are at the stage where they probably do need to go talk to a mental health provider. But if you feel that you're not supported with kind of like a doc, doc, doctor's job, in my opinion, which doesn't mean it's right, is to give you all the scenarios and for you to pick which one is yours. So if they say, right, this is the options of HRT, this is the pros and cons. This is the other treatments that we could go down. Here's the pros and cons. Here's the other medications that we could go down. Here's the pros and cons. Here's CBT. Here's the pros and cons. 
Now it's up to you to pick which one you want. But realizing that that one study, I think it was in the 90s, early 2000s, about HRT saying it was linked to cancer, has been debunked and debunked and debunked since. It was one study and people latched onto it. It's like with people now with the artificial sweeteners. People have latched onto that WHO recommendation. I'm not comparing the two, but people have latched onto these headlines again with the, with this, the sweeteners argument. But like people are saying yeah. it's carcinogenic. I was like, yeah, but your mobile phone's carcinogenic. The aloe vera that you're rubbing your child is carcinogenic. Your, the alcohol that you drink on a weekly basis where you go out and absolutely piss and go end up on coppers, that's more carcinogenic and that's worse for you. But yet we don't worry about the alcohol. We worry about this artificial sweeteners headline when you have to be drinking about 18 a day for it to have any impact. And it's minute impact at that. But if you're drinking 18 artificial sweeteners or 18 Coke Zeros or Diet Cokes a day, there's other issues at play. Yeah. That's my rant. Definitely. I don't know how I ended up going to talk about that. <laughs> no, but it's so true. And we get very influenced by what we're being fed in the media. And, you know, and we can be as aware as we want, but still when we're hearing this information. And I think it's really important, like in relation, not, we're not going down the mental health route today, but, you know, the fact that me and you, have had two completely different experiences um now obviously different symptoms yeah. different medications different whatever that um, my my point with all of that anyway is you ha- like you shouldn't have a black and white thinking about it you have to go and be like how what are my symptoms like you said what are my options what are the trade-offs because every decision that you make you know like for me when it when it was the case of you know like I couldn't function I was like I need you know my doctor was like we need to get those serotonin levels up in your in your body before we can actually before you are going to be able to help yourself get out of this and that's what I needed and then I was very and then I was taken off it and so I feel like I was handled very well now not all doctors will be as amazing as that and this is why I'd always say shop around with your doctors um because so in relation to HRT Go talk to your doctor. If your doctor's not willing to listen to you about your your symptoms, go to another one. You know, ask your friends who like who have they gone to that they found have been helpful and supportive. And also important to remember that what your friend down the road has experienced with whatever treatment route they go might not be what you need, but you need to be able to explore it, I suppose. But I also think women are an awful lot better at talking. Like I always find that women are better at talking and almost like giving referrals if you know what i mean so you may just go for a consultation with another gp if they feel that they've that person's done well with a particular type of hrt or hrt in general or cbt or ssris or whatever it may be but it's important to kind of go and say right this has worked for them your symptoms may be different but it's important to say right i know my choices i know what options are available to me let's try one of them and sometimes now it can be the other extreme now where everyone's ramming HRT down people's throats, which yes. is also in the media, which is not very fair either. So generally when it comes to nutrition, training, health, mental health, it's normally somewhere in the middle, but it has to be your pro-choice. And there's also this agenda against the pill and that it's negative towards the health, mental health, all these kind of different things, cyclical health, bone health, but some people need it in relation to managing endometriosis and their pain levels, their PCOS and their heavy flow. So it has a purpose. Everything has a purpose, but we know we need to know what the pros and cons are. 
And sometimes it's just about managing the symptoms in the here and the now so you get a little bit of light relief and then trying and testing things out. Maybe it's not the right dosage at the beginning. Maybe it's not the right HRT or type of HRT for you at the beginning. Maybe it's not the right counselor or doctor or GP for you at the beginning. But it's about picking which one works for you overall. And don't be afraid to try different things. It can feel infuriating that you're going to have to go through all these levels. I get that. But imagine being able to stand there in a year, two years time and say, right, I'm actually sorted now. I feel more like myself. I'm looking after myself better. I'm not having night sweats. I'm actually able to get a night's sleep. I'm actually able to go and go go out for a walk. I'm able to have the confidence to go into the gym. I'm able to look after my health that little bit more. Imagine being able to say that by trying things out rather than saying, no, I'm not doing anything or feeling that you can't be hurt. So don't be afraid to try these things out. It's not it's not that they're failing you. It's not the system's failing you. It's just that you need you may need to like I'll never understand it from a psychological point of view. I can only understand it from a physiological point of view and from what I read in books. I can never understand what people go through through Mary perimenopause. So people could be like, oh, this is a man explaining or a man explaining, and that's fine. But if people want to believe that, because I've had hate on social media for me explaining menstrual cycles and perimenopause before. I've had it before and I'll have it again. But you're pushing away the support because yeah. of, and I'm, we're, I'm trying to help. There is people yeah. trying to help. There's no agenda. And I think people feel that they're unheard. They feel there's an agenda of being like potentially like the the big pharma companies. There's an agenda for against them as well. They're looking after their bottom line. But I think it's important to say, right, try and test things out and see see what helps and see what works for you and kind of go from there. Yeah, I know. And I think it's important to note that, you know, you've worked with a lot of women to help them through these symptoms. So you've seen lots of different perspectives from different women and you're able to, it's it's fantastic that you're able to share your knowledge from from obviously what you've studied what you've what you've read and but also what you've supported people through so um, and that's what we're using today is, is your experience of from supporting people through the um these different experiences they've had and a really really good point in relation to it not being black and white it's not like okay i'm taking hrt and that's it it's like I'm going to try this. I'm going to uh, see how I feel. We can adjust, we can, you know, that it is a trial and error until, and you're going to just have to reflect. How do I feel? Do we need to make any adjustments? Is everything okay? And going from there rather than being like, this is the only option and this is what I'm doing. Um, just trying to have an open mind, I suppose. Yeah, big time, big time. That's exactly what it is. about having an open mind and having like a uh, feeling that you're heard, I think is a massive piece of it that a lot of people don't realize. Yeah. Definitely. So, and like you said, women are good at talking to their friends in general. And if you aren't talking to your friends, get talking to your friends, because if they're the same age as you, they're going through it as well. Um, And it just needs to be spoken about. There's also support groups and there's menopause clinics and stuff as well that you can look up also. And there's lots of information online. And um, but in general, right, just before we go into because I do want to spend most of the time kind of giving kind of lifestyle tips and advice for the for the rest of the time but could we just differentiate what are the common symptoms so we're kind of we're really talking perimenopause here if this is where the struggles are and what are the common symptoms and what are the not so common symptoms and where on this spectrum do we need to start seeking help because i know what it's like to kind of be at a stage with like my mental health being like am I being over the top or, you know, is this a problem? You know yeah. what I mean? So you, there could be women being like, okay, I'm struggling a bit, but like, am I that bad? 
I would say if you know what's normal for you and you feel off in any way with hormones or mental health, I would say that's a stage of when you probably need to go and talk to someone or something. Um, yeah. Whether that be talking about HRT, whether that be talking about mental health professionals, CBT, um, I would say that's where or if you feel that your body or your cycle is kind of getting irregular, well, then I would say that's probably where I would, if you feel anything's off, I would go. Like some people be like, oh, I'm a hypochondriac or I feel like a hypochondriac doing it. I'm like, well, you can feel like a hypochondriac or you can look after yourself. Yeah, and, and like, doctors are going to be encounter plenty of hypochondriacs. My motto when I go to the doctor is like, they're going to have seen way worse than me in any circumstance. Yeah, but I always like, I always, I, get, I always go to the doctor when it's too late. And what I mean by that is like, I, I'm not dead, like I'm not dying. But I normally like, I would literally have to be on death's door for me to end up going to the doctor, which is not a healthy approach. But I was wondering why I was struggling for so long. I only got diagnosed with asthma in the last two years. I was wondering why I couldn't play a football match to the best that I could. And then I got the inhalers and I'm like new person with them. I was like, why can't I? Just, I got, I did the breath. The kind of, It's like almost like a breathalyzer test. Cause I kept getting chest infections. I was like, why does this keep happening? It's like, yeah, you've had asthma since young, but like your GP, your first GP just didn't spot it. I was like, that makes sense. So now it's being managed. Yeah. It, yeah, I think sometimes it can be an Irish thing as well. Like, you know, like, Jesus, the cost of the doctor. I'm not paying for it. Oh, until I, 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 I'd be like that, but I got that from my dad. So yeah, I, no, I, I think I'd be a bit like that as well. I'd have to go to the doctor now with a list. I'm like, right, if I'm going, I'm uh, getting my yeah, money exactly. worth. I'll get this get thing money worth. <laughs> I'm, get, I'm getting everything here. I'm getting everything while I'm here. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I get the full package. Yeah, exactly, but yeah. um, I think like as mums, you know, and a, and a lot of women, going through menopause not all but you know a lot of women will be will have kids and will always will have a whole lifetime of putting themselves last so it is really important to be like you're not being hypochondriac when things feel off go to the doctor start talking about it if the doctor doesn't listen to you find another one get talking about it get ahead of it yeah so what what are what's common symptoms what what do like the majority of women experience irregular periods breast tenderness Weight gain, hair changes, headaches, loss of sex drive, concentration, brain fog, forgetfulness, muscle aches, UTIs, fertility issues, night sweats, um, sleep disturbances, anxiety, depression. I'm really selling it. I'm really selling the strong point. Like fucking kill me now. Yeah, I like. There's like, there's a lot of. It's a long list. And I'm kind of like the main one a lot of people will, that my experience will probably be the hot flashes will be kind of number one. And I'll go through how to manage that in a second. The second one will probably be, well, number one is kind of like the irregular periods. That generally is the first sign that it's, it's starting to wave or heavier periods. But the lifestyle disturbing ones would be the hot flushes and the irregular sleep, I suppose, is going to cause a huge they're issue. They're kind of linked. It's kind of like if your hot flushes, your kind of internal thermometer kind of goes out of whack. Um, which I'll tell you, tell you in a sec. Then there's weight gain. So a lot of people can, uh, I'm not sure you want to talk about it now or is it afterwards about the misconceptions? Um, yeah, well, we can, tie it, we can tie it all in as it goes. Like we talk about these common symptoms because I know and a lot of the questions that came in from the question box were around kind of that midsection as well and okay. um, weight gain. But if you want, do you want to talk about the, I suppose the hot flushes and the sleep first and how that affects kind of mood and mental health and how to manage that and then we can go into and talk the weight stuff 
Okay, cool. So with hot flashes, about 75% of women experience them. Okay. It's quite a lot. So it's this kind of like brief sensation of heat. That's essentially what it feels like. And some people be like, it's not brief. But I'll be like, it's what the textbook thing is. It says it's brief. I know it's not brief. So they aren't the same for everyone. Some can have more extreme, some can have lighter ones, but there's no definitive reason why they actually happen. But they can be like a, a red flushed face. They can be sweating. They could be a chilled feeling after heat as well. And they can last for various different times. You could be in a meeting at work and it happens. You could be in traffic in a car and it happens. You could be sleeping and it happens. You could be watching TV and it happens. It's a true joy, to be honest with you. But they, some of the things that you can't, is often it, some people think it can be down to kind of your estrogen that it spikes up and crashes back down. Your body can't just irregulate its, its, its thermometer. So th- some things you can do is wear lighter colored clothes. Some people can say that you can have a fan. Some people say have it lower your thermostat in your house, which your gas bill and your heating bill will be happy with. A couple of lifestyle things you can do, which two of them are going to annoy people. And one of them is going to piss off some people. And one of them is probably handy. So the handy one is try to limit large meals. So have smaller regular meals throughout the day because it takes effort for our body to digest food. And if our body can't digest these big chunks of food, which at no age it can, it can put more en- more stress onto the body and how it digests things. Some people won't like this one, quit smoking. Some people, most people won't like the next one, which is alcohol. You need to reduce it or I'm not saying stop it, but reducing significantly. So sometimes what can happen is if mood is down through perimenopause, alcohol and food come back into it. And then alcohol stops you sleeping or going into your deep sleep. So you're already feeling low. Alcohol is a depressant. So you're not feeling great again. You're going to wake up with a hangover. You're not going to get some sleep. And then you're not going to want to eat great the next day or train the next day or go out for a walk the next day. So this circle continues. And the next one, even though people are feeling tired and fatigued, limiting caffeine can help as well, which cannot, may not and will not be helpful in any way. And what I mean by that is the advice I've just said probably won't be helpful because you're tired, you're fatigued, and the way you get more coffee in is to help your energy levels. But what happens is what people don't realize with caffeine is you need more of it to get the same response as your threshold builds up and your tolerance yeah. builds up. So like a drug. Sorry? Like a drug. Exactly. Uh, and then the other thing that I'd probably look at limiting is spicy food can help uh, with kind of reducing hot flashes as well. So what can you do? You can get over-the-counter treatments. You can get stuff with kind of like estrogen therapy. You can get estrogen as available as a prescription. You can get... It's normally combined with progestin as well. You can get oral pills, creams, gels, skin patches. You can get vaginal creams, antidepressants if you wish and well. Um, and some people can look at maybe getting kind of other types of medication. Exercise can help with this, reducing your alcohol, um, being strict on your sleep boundaries with no phone in your bedroom. Regular exercise can help, all these kind of different things. So, yeah, there's a lot that it can be to, to, to manage it, 
but it can be managed. But I would go to the doctor if you're feeling you're having any of those to try and manage the symptoms that way and then maybe look at bringing the other things alongside it or, or just after it. Yeah, so you can you can hugely help yourself with your lifestyle. Um, and I know some people listening will be like, yeah, oh, well, easier said than done. You know, if I could just put these healthy lifestyle places in place, then, you know, it would solve all my problems anyway. But like, you know, bringing it in step by step and just being like, okay, I'm going to focus on my sleep first, even if I am waking up with hot flushes, that I'm going to set myself a bedtime and stick to it every night and set myself. And actually, I listened to a really interesting podcast a few months back on sleep and was a sleep specialist. Can't even remember whose podcast it was. But they were saying this wasn't in relation to perimenopause or anything, but that in, in relation to our sleep, that we nearly cause ourselves more stress. If we're not getting enough sleep, we're stressed about not getting enough sleep, which is counterproductive. And yeah. that we're focusing on our bedtime so much and we're going to bed at like half nine and we're lying there wide awake and we can't sleep and we're stressed, but that we should really be focusing on our getting up time. So if we get up at the same time every day, seven days a week, which, oh yeah, like within reason, you know, if you've got a- like, That sounds like something Tom Coleman has said. Yeah, no, this was a female specialist. I'll have to, I'll have to look it up. But, I'll have yeah, to, I'll, but it makes sense. A lot of people are like, well, I need to go to bed half nine, so I'm just going to lie here. And then they end up staring at the ceiling, kind yeah. of like, well, this is counterintuitive. And some people were like, oh, I'm going to go to bed really early. It's like, well, actually, if you push out your bed that little bit longer, by half an hour or an hour or whatever it may be, you actually make yourself more tired because yeah. you're sleep hormones and your deep sleep hormones are making you more sleepy and you're more tired so you're going to go to bed more tired so you won't be well if you're on your phone you're going to block those receptors anyway yeah but yeah that's... If, if you if you watch out for your caffeine so if you're having caffeine if you're going to bed at i don't know 11 p.m for example if you have coffee at 11 a.m it's still in your body it takes 12 hours for caffeine to get out of your body so like you probably should be reducing if you're drinking coffee at three, four, or five p.m. in the in the evening. So like, oh, well, I've got a tolerance. So like, no, 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 you don't. It still impacts your sleep and your health, and it can't. It stops that that whole thing of deep sleep. So I know when you're kind of you're feeling tired, you're feeling foggy, you don't want to do any of this, and you don't. And what you want to do is caffeine to get you through the day. I am aware that it's not easy. Switching to decaf. Maybe switching to tea. Decaf still has caffeine in it. It's decaffeinated. It's not uncaffeinated or zero caffeinated. It still has caffeine in it. Tea has some caffeine in it as well. But they might be better options for you. And they might yeah, help or, you sleep better. Yeah. Or even ha like if you're like, I have to have a latte every day, have it before 11 a.m. even. And just, you know, just reduce, start making adjustments. Yeah. Even go, like don't go cold turkey. Too many people try to do it. So if you're having three coffees a day, try to get into two. And if you still want that warm, fuzzy feeling, especially as we head into the winter, maybe switch to decaf as your third one or tea as your third one and see if that makes a difference for your sleep. Yeah. And give it a chance for you to develop the taste for it as well. Like sometimes people give up too quickly. Like, you know, they're like, I hate decaf. And I'm like, okay, but it might taste slightly different, but keep your one in the morning and then try and have the decaf in the afternoon and get you, see, you might actually get used to it and end up liking it. Yeah, but most people don't even like the taste of coffee. Most people just have it as a, a cup of magazine to feel warm and comfort. That's the fact. Yeah. Like, I wouldn't say I overly enjoy the, the, the taste of coffee. I know some people love it, but I wouldn't say I overly enjoy the taste of coffee. No, I just love the texture of a latte. I love like the, the, the foam. frothy milk. Yeah. yeah, the foam. I love the foam. Yeah, yeah and the warmth and stuff. But um, yeah, so definitely putting these things in place. And oh yeah, what I was saying actually about sleep then. So 
like you were saying, push a bedtime out and just go to bed when you're tired. Do things during the day that are going to make you t- like make you physically tired as well. Like get out for a walk, get a workout in where, wherever you can fit it into your week. It doesn't have to be every day, but as much as you can. Depends how busy you are, and um, a bit of reading before bed can actually make a huge difference as well. More journaling. Um, and another thing that the sleep specialist had said, I hate kind of referring to something that I can't actually tell you what it was. I'll put it in the show notes if I can think of it. Um, I'll have to go back and see. But what they said anyway was that if you're in bed and you cannot sleep or you wake in the middle of the night and you cannot sleep, don't lie there being stressed about not being able to sleep. Get up. Yeah. Go to, you know, if you have a partner, you might need to get out of the room. If you don't, if you're in a room on your own, get up, turn on your lamp, read for a few minutes um, or go get a glass of water, come back to bed, you know, get up, do something and then go back to bed when you feel tired. And worst case scenario, if you can't get back to sleep at your bedtime the following night, you're going to be more tired and you'll catch up. Your body will regulate. And that as long as you don't lie in, get up. At, if you get up at 7 a.m., get up at 7 a.m. every morning and then your body will feel tired the next day and you'll sleep better the next night. And it should kind of regulate within reason. I know we're talking about, about um, with perimenopause, things are getting disrupted, but not to add your stress by stressing about the sleep, if that makes sense. Yep, makes sense. Um, so that's what, they're that, that really good um, tips anyway that you've given in relation to those symptoms. So like the flush, the hot flush is the sleep. What about weight? So this is a huge thing that you know, we're kind of crossing over into misconceptions here, aren't we? The yeah, it's, all good. it's a big one that people ask. Yeah, okay. let's go for it. So people in their heads were like, it's hard to lose weight in my 40s because I'm in my 40s. When I was in my 20s and my teens, I was able to eat everything and I would have been amazing and looked amazing in a bikini. So that's essentially the sentence I hear a lot from clients when they first start working with me. And so... The big thing that I would say is the reason why it can be harder to lose weight when we get into 30s, 40s, and 50s is priorities. So you may have kids. You may be more stressed. You may have more financial stress. You might have kids. You might not be sleeping great. So if we have all those different things, our energy is probably reduced. We're probably using food as a little bit more of a comfort. It can be impact our mental health. So it might be using alcohol and food as a comfort or a tool to kind of soothe our thing or soothe ourselves and comfort ourselves a little bit more. So it's not that your metabolism slows down. So there's research showing now that the metabolism really doesn't slow down until you're about 60. And even then, it's only by 0.6%. So wow. it's not a huge a lot. It's a huge amount. But then people are like, well, I've got thyroid issues. Okay, perfect. So if you've got under uh, an underactive thyroid, and you're getting your, your hormones checked and your thyroid checked every three, six months or whatever the doctor has suggested, and your meds are up at the same level and are getting boosted up, then your thyroid will function at, uh, at a normal rate. So that means you're on the level playing field as someone who doesn't have thyroid issues. There's hyperthyroid issues, which is overactive. So think of it, overactive child is hyperactive. Yeah. Then there's hypoactive, which is underactive thyroid, means it can be harder to lose weight. But if your meds are up at the same level and at the right level for your dosage and your thyroid function, well, then you're at the same level. So we've ruled out your metabolism and we've ruled out thyroid. So it's more likely it's today down to changing circumstances and less activity. And we're using food. Maybe mental health is out of play as well. Then people are like, well, my stomach. Why is my stomach area the problem area? Well, one, you could have had kids 
And that can be where a lot of maybe you've had C-sections, there could be scars in your stomach. And that can be a big confidence thing for some people as well. It's the one point that they look like, if you look at your social media or the media you've been been bombarded with for a long time, all these people have slim stomachs. So you think this is what you should look like, but you've had, you've had a, maybe I've given birth to amazing kids in your life. If you're fortunate to be able to do that. And that could be why the, 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 the change in composition is there. You may have scars from it as well. The other thing is your hormones are changing. So as I spoke about earlier, like your progesterone, your estrogen is, is changing as well. But women also have testosterone. Men have estrogen. Men, women also have testosterone. So what happens is you may recognize when you were younger that a lot of the weight that you would have, maybe it'd be in your quads and in your kind of your, your bum. But now the weight's shifting from your hips to your stomach. Where do men hold their weight? In their stomachs. So we, we, as we get older, we hold weight in our stomachs. It's essentially the testosterone is increasing and the other hormones are decreasing. So your body shape is changing due to the hormonal shift in your body. So essentially that testosterone is taking over. So that's why the stomach area gets a little bit more, can get a little bit more fat distribution, but it's also going to be down to genetics. Like I know myself, if I, like I would hold a lot of my weight in my stomach and my hips, well, I know other people would mainly could hold them into their legs or in their chest or in their back. Other, everyone is different. So it's not your thyroid, if your thyroid meds are correct. It's not your metabolism because you're not at 60 maybe. And even at 60, it doesn't go, right, you're 59 today, 60 tomorrow, 0.6% down. That's not what happens. It could be down to life stresses. It could be also down to these different things. It could be down to your hormones changing. So what can you do? The same rules still apply for you. It can be a little bit more difficult to lose weight going through perimenopause, but that's due to trying to manage the symptoms. If the symptoms get managed, then it can be a little bit easier. If the symptoms are harder to manage, it can be a little bit more difficult because mood, energy, energy expenditure, food choices, alcohol, lifestyle, stresses, all these kind of different things and not making ourselves a priority can also be a thing because we may not feel we're worth it. So all those different things. But if people are saying, well, I want to get a flat stomach. Well, no endless amounts of crunches in the world are going to get you a flat stomach. You can do sit up and sit up and sit up and sit up as much as you want. You're not going to get a flat stomach. So that's not going to be nice to hear for some people. The same rules apply. And I hate saying the sentence of calories in, calories out, calorie deficit. I hate saying those words. But it does, doesn't turn off at the age of 40s and 50s and 60s. The same thermo, thermogenic rules apply to us all at all ages and all walks of life. So it just might mean that we need to be a little bit more mindful. Are we getting walks in? Are we doing some sort of weight training and kind of holding on to our, our bone health and our muscles? Are we eating regular enough protein? They're the three things that I would recommend people to do to kind of look at those kind of things. Lift weights, do some sort of walking or jogging or biking or swimming or dancing or yoga or Pilates, whatever you want to do. Then I would also make sure you're getting protein in. So that's the likes of whey, chicken, meat, poultry, turkey, adame beans, beans, kidney beans, whatever it may be. They're the kind of sources that you kind of look for to help your bone health. And if you've got good bone health and you want to build muscle and you want to get toned in inverted commas, tone means build muscle, that could be a way. But the whole weight gain thing, it's harder 
for various different reasons, but it's not for the reasons why you think. Yeah. And it, like it is literally, it comes down to making yourself a priority and that gets harder. That th- This is the whole center of the issue. When you're 25, you are your main priority. Yeah. That you know, on, you know. Well, I had kids at twenty. I had a child at twenty-five. But in general, most twenty-five-year-olds don't have kids, or only have one or two. You know, they can, man, you know, and the kids tend to be small. They can still make themselves a priority. Things tend to escalate as time goes by, and suddenly, like twenty years have passed, and you're like, Jesus, who am I? I haven't given myself any type of focus, and it's more important than ever to put these habits in place and the thing is it's not too late so even if you've spent the past 10 or 15 years raising your kids and not making yourself a priority you can be like right you know what like I'm starting to experience these symptoms I don't want to live like this I am making myself a priority and I think it really comes down to organization and scheduling it in like an appointment an appointment with your doctor an appointment with your hairdresser you don't miss these appointments make your appointment with yourself and in relation to like people might be like, I've never strength trained in my life. I've never resistance trained. Like you are in such a fantastic time for this because every gym has classes now. There's so many small classes, class-based gyms. There's um, even anyone listening who's over 60, there's loads of gyms that do over 60s class. My dad does it in the local CrossFit gym and he loves it. Um, I'm working with my mom in a gym doing tra- um, doing resistance training. There's loads of groups out there. So there's there's no excuse. You can find something for you. And then there's loads of online coaches like myself or yourself that will guide you. And, you know, th- this can be done at home. There's so many options and there's so much support available. It's just about starting to look for what's right for you. In, same with the HRT and the doctor situation. The lifestyle structures we're putting in place, it's about finding what's right for you and st- start but just by taking the first step and reaching out to someone or, you know, go visit your local gym and see what's on offer is a step in the right direction. Yeah. And I think a big thing that kind of happens is because people who are kind of, who have, who are parents and I think moms in particular, I don't want to bring genders into it, but moms are very good at doing everything for everyone. But when it comes to themselves, they're not very good at it. And if we're doing everything for everyone else and we're getting validation and acceptance for it, we learn that mechanism. We think that we need to do that. And we can kind of almost adopt this thing of like, I'm a people pleaser. But this chips away at your self-worth and your self-esteem sometimes as well. So self-worth really does come in as like, am I worth the investment? Am I worth doing this? It's like, well, why aren't you? Why? What makes Karen down the road more important than you? What makes the kids more important than you? Like if you want to be fit and healthy and be around to see your grandkids, like, that's ultimately what you want to be around for. You want to be around for that. So it's important to say, right, what can I do for myself? What do I get? Even if you start off with a motto of like, what can I do today that's going to help me? That could be simply going for a walk. Yeah. Like if nothing else that I do today helps me is literally going for a walk. It's the first thing I say to myself every morning. Like I looked out the window this morning. I go for a walk every single morning before I start working. And the first thing I say to myself is, what can I do? And I was like, I'm going to get for a walk. I opened up the curtains and I saw it was raining. And I was like, uh, why? Why was it 23 degrees yesterday? And now it's raining. It's to be seven degrees by Friday, I think, by the way. Oh, you're, you're a true joy. <laughs> I know. <laughs> true joy. Uh, I'm looking at the window. It's freaking miserable. Um, yeah. So, but the one thing I was like, right, I have a jacket. I'm not going to melt. I'll be fine got it done came back had a coffee warmed up and then 
easy. But like people will be like, well, I'm genuine people like, oh, like they'll start to blame motivation. It's like it's never motivation, never motivation. Look at when you stop doing things. What directs it? Your mood. It's your motivation, not your motivation. Love it. Motivation. I'm writing this down. I, I'm patent pending on that. I'm going to make t-shirts. Um, so yeah, <laughs> you can if you want. Um, so it's, it is generally, it's your mood. When you stop doing things, you don't go to work when you feel like it. You don't look after your kids when you feel like it. Because often many people wouldn't look after either if they didn't, if they, yeah. if they fe- did when they felt like it. But why is it only we do things for ourselves when we feel like it? Yeah. That's one thing to be aware of. So it's down to your mood. You stop doing things when your mood gets lower. But when your mood gets lower, it's probably where you need that little bit more of a push to say, right, I'm going for a walk. I'm going to ring a mate for a gym class. I'm going to get a food shop in. I'm going to eat regular meals today. I'm going to get some sleep. Motivation. Exactly. And just seeing it as important as your kids, as your job. And it's funny, like, as I would, like, it's the guilt. There's two types of guilt as well that I think, you know, happens too. I'm talking now, uh, like, on behalf of mom, of mothers out there. No, not, not all mothers are going to be like me. So, but I find from my own personal experience, like the guilt, first of all, if I've made bad choices in the past, I've had to let go of those bad choices. The guilt, like, oh, I, you know, if someone is overweight and, you know, maybe has health problems because um, as a result of that, you need to let go of the guilt of being like, oh, I didn't look after myself. Oh, I'm terrible. I'm this, I'm that. I'm, you know, like whatever, you know, there's so many different factors to life. You're not a bad person. Things happen. Shit happens. I've made so many bad choices in my past. You have to let it go. But then when it comes to being a mother, the other type of guilt then is the guilt of not being present with your kids or, you know, having to, like, I struggle with this terribly at the minute with, you know, with the business and just with, with my kid, like I have three kids and they're all in school. One of them's in secondary school, two of them are in primary school. And it's just constant. There's football matches, there's training, there's homework, there's, you know, there's school trips. There's so much to remember. And then I'm busy trying to do other things for my business and then for my own health, because I have to prioritize it. And that it can feel, I can feel guilty. You know, I'm like, oh, I'm heading off to the gym now or, or, oh, I'm busy stuck on my computer now and I'm only half listening to them. And I know mothers feel this, but you have to prioritize yourself. Well, guilt means you've done something wrong. That's essentially what guilt means. Like if you go to court right now for doing going to the gym, what are you going to get put into jail for? If you think of it logically, for, for only half listening to your children or for leaving your children with their dad or their granny or whoever you're leaving yeah, them exactly. with. Exactly. What are you going to get put to jail for? Yeah. Well, guilt means you've done something wrong, but the overarching element of it is shame. Shame means I am a bad perf- person for doing this or this or this. How are you a bad person for prioritizing yourself? Yeah. Logically. Yeah. So, yeah, we need to stop being so hard on ourselves. Like it's- Irish people are great at it, but Irish mommies yeah. are awesome at it. Yeah trying to do everything perfectly you know like we're expected to raise children like we don't work we're expected to excel in our careers like we don't have kids it's it's tough going and then on top of that to when we start to get head towards 40 and we're starting to feel our age it we're made feel like it's a shameful thing that oh she's getting older oh she's getting a bit you know forgetful yeah it's very different for for men it's very Mm. different and i don't want to bring the genders into it but if you were in your 30s or in your 40s as a man it's kind of like you're seen a little bit different like yeah, a woman's kind of saying right if she's not looking a certain way 
this is society, this isn't me. Society is like if, if a woman doesn't look a certain way at 30s or 40s and she doesn't look prim proper or like look great in clothes or all the time and the kids are well behaved and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's not down to the man. The pressure's yeah. on the woman. Yeah. Good old patriarch at play. But I don't think men are putting that pressure on women. I think no, women I think are society putting pressure is. on themselves. It's society in general. Yeah, so it's def- definitely not a man versus woman thing. No. That um, I don't think men are going around being like, Jesus, the state of her or anything. You know, I think that women feel this pressure themselves and it does come from society as a whole. Um, and I think we just need to stop being trying to be so perfect, stop being so hard on ourselves, do our best, look at what our values are, look at what our priorities are, what do we actually want out of life? Like in general, what it's going to be different for me as it is for the next person. But in the end of the day, we all want to be happy. So we have to figure out what it is that makes us happy. But one part of that for everyone is going to be health. So work on your sleep, get resistance training a couple times a week and get moving. Walk, cycle, swim, whatever you enjoy. Find time. It's so important. You mentioned anything else you want to add to that? That's kind of my little kind of roundup. Yeah, no, the perfection thing, it comes with anything. Like perfection realistically is, it ultimately is the inability to accept that you are human. Yeah. Which is a level of arrogance. If you think about yeah. it, it is arrogant. Yeah. That you think you're going to have to get everything right all the time. You're not like make, make any mistakes. It's arrogant. Yeah. Why are you not allowed to make mistakes? Why are you not allowed to make mistakes with your kids? Why are you not allowed to make mistakes and miss a training session? Why are you not allowed to make mistakes and stay in bed rather than go for that walk? Why? Yeah, and making mistakes is how we learn. It's how we grow. You learn more by making mistakes. I, I genuinely find with clients, the clients who fail more get better results. Because they're the ones doing the check-ins, but they're also the ones that, like, I never have a client that doesn't have some event or something or holiday or something that comes up. But you'll learn more through the days that don't go well, because there's more of those than the days that go perfectly well, because there's very, very few and far between of those. You'll learn more about yourself and you'll learn more about your weight loss journey or fat loss journey or yourself on the days that don't go well. Yeah. Because there's more of them. Kids get sick. Kids get called out of school. Kids punch other kids in the head and get suspended. You get sick. You get run down. But these things ramp up. You'll learn more about yourself rather than hammering yourself into the gym when you're not feeling well or you've got a chest infection or something like that that you need or a stomach bug that you've picked up from Tommy and from play school. Like you have to give yourself a break at some point. Because yeah. this inability to accept that you're human is a level of arrogance that isn't working for you. Yeah. And life isn't perfect. You know, life has ups and downs. as hell if it was perfect. Yeah. And, but why do we, like, we expect our health and fitness journeys or our weight loss journeys because to be perfect? Because we watch Betty Booty on social media and we only see what she eats in a day and we think we're going to look like that because she does that. I guarantee Big Betty Booty takes a lot of steroids and takes other things as well. And is not healthy on the inside. No. <laughs> Often those people that we see up on social media, yeah. there's a lot of them, but there's also a lot of them that are healthy in a mental health. And some people look great. And there's other people that don't, aren't, I've spoken to so many people on doing the podcast that when you speak to them, 
they're not doing too great, unfortunately. Yeah, I know. Yeah. And that's really important to remember that you really don't know what's going on with other people and your own health and fitness is going to have ups and downs just like your life does because that is life and we're all here long and anyone listening to this you know most people listening to this are 30 plus you've been on this planet long enough to know life has ups and downs so does your weight loss journey don't give up on yourself um, life, life will be boring if it's it perfect yeah you'll figure it out exactly um so i hope this has been beneficial for people listening shane this has been definitely beneficial for me um to really looking forward to all these symptoms you know <laughs> I, I i i don't envy you um, but that's no, seriously thank you so much where can people find you now if they want to um, kind of get advice from you find you on social media yeah so thank you so much again for for having me on I know we were kind of chatting a little bit off air as well so it's great to kind of have a, a catch up so there's the Shane Walsh podcast which is yeah. at 400 episodes as of last week and then there's at Shane Walsh Fitness on Instagram if you have any questions or want to pop us any message or DM off the back of this um, but thank you again for having me, Kate. And thanks so much. And yes, check out Shane's podcast. And um, I'll share this in the in the. Sh- I'll put a link in the show notes anyway. But you cover a lot of this, like over those four hundred episodes. People scroll down. You've interviewed people. You've talked about things yourself. There's so much more to learn by just heading to his podcast. Hundred percent. Awesome. Thank you, Kate. Thank you. Thank you so much to Kate for having me on her amazing podcast. I hope that you have enjoyed the episode. If you have, leave a review up on iTunes, leave a review up on Spotify, and I hopefully you have, have enjoyed it. So if you're interested in the female follows program, starts on the 30th of October, 99 quid for six weeks of coaching. I'll tell you how to and advise you on how to kind of manage your busy season, your Christmas season, and break that all or nothing mindset that you may currently have. So thank you so much for listening, and I'll talk to you soon.